ask and knock, they will find the Lord. And so I know that what y'all are doing, seeking the Lord, asking him, we all have prayers we're asking for, the Lord will meet you. The Lord will meet you. This is an investment, and it's not always easy to get here, but it is an investment. So bless you. Um, yeah. Um, I, did, did everybody find their facilitators? We have some that are out of town. We have quite a few people that are out of town tonight. And is everybody situated? Okay, super. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, tonight we are blessed to have Betty with us to share her testimony nugget. And so, Betty, if you want to come on up and share your nugget, your testimony with us. I uh, would really appreciate that. Thank you for being so awesome to do that. Hi. Is this on? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Betty Garcia, and I'm married to Roy Garcia. I have four children and nine grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> I am so grateful for, to the Lord for all he's done. There was a song we sang years ago that I've never forgotten. One line in the song said, Jesus got a hold of my life, and he won't let me go. It's true for all of us in here. He isn't going to let us go. He is going to continue to shine us. Anna polished that teapot in one setting, but God takes that tarnish from me little by little. I'm grateful for that, and when I walk the streets of gold, I'm sure the tarnish will be gone and I will shine completely. But until then, I will shine as God helps me. Do you remember the story Steve told a couple of weeks ago about a man that had a fear of water? And how God brought him back to a time where he believed a lie? Well, I too believed a lie for many years. Recently, I asked God if there was any lie I may have believed and given the evil one a foothold. He brought me back to kindergarten. When I was five years old, my teacher, Mrs. Lloyd, um, God even gave me her name, (sighs) asked me to draw a house with shapes. I made a simple house with a square and a triangle, but she wanted more shapes in the house. I didn't understand I thought I had made a perfect house. She became upset with me and put me in the playhouse, kind of a timeout, and forgot about me. I was devastated, crying because I didn't understand. I believed at that time I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I asked God where he was when I was in the playhouse crying, and he spoke to me. He said, I was with you. I saw your tender heart. I was protecting your heart. I believe God did protect my heart at that time, but I still believed the lie about not good enough, not smart enough. I realized the lie was from the evil one. Today, I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every time I think I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, God reminds me of the lie. I want to encourage all of you tonight to ask God what lie you may be believing and let him love you through it. 
I believe God gave me a word of encouragement, and he wants me to give it to you. This is for all of us. I asked the Lord Jesus, what, you, what do you have to say to me? He said, you are my creation. I made you in my image. He gave me a picture of Garden of the Gods and all the beauty of his creation. And then he said, you are beautiful to me. No need to be concerned about what you can't do. I'm here for you. My rod and my staff will guide you and comfort you. Be my little lamb. Let me take care of you. Lean on me. Lean on me to know what to say and when to speak. You are all my cheerleaders. Can you trust me? I will be with you forever. Come follow me. I'll lead the way. Then I asked Jesus, what do you have to say about our relationship with you? He said, I am the light of the world. You have the light. We shine together. God gave me a picture of clouds, and I was hanging on to Jesus' hand, jumping from cloud to cloud. He wants you to hang on to his hand. He loves you. Mm, wow. Mm. Wow, thank you, Betty. What a blessing. And you didn't know it, but that ties right into what the Lord is wanting to share tonight. So, thank you. Do you all enjoy the testimonies? Yes. Yeah, they really are. I, I can relate to that. I mean, things that happened in childhood and we feel like we don't measure up. We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we're dumb or stupid or whatever it is. And the enemy takes that and wants to just wrap our lives around that until we find out the truth. And Jesus was there with us. It was beautiful. Thank you, Betty. Um, uh, did everybody get the class guidelines? That Who wasn't here the first week and didn't get the class guidelines? Okay. Wonderful. I just wanted to be sure that everybody got them. So it's just kind of fun that we're all on the same page here. Anybody else? Everybody else get the class guidelines? You're, you have a questioning book on there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Y'all can just pass them around. I, yeah. There you go. Super. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wanted everybody to know also that uh, you can come once. If you have somebody you want to bring with you one time or your mom's in town or your sister's in town, feel free to bang them with you. This is God's word we're going through. Any nugget we can get from God's word is good. It's not like it's a specific study that you have to have been there or you will get lost in. Um, so feel free to bring. Be here every week or if you have somebody just come once. I, I think some people have asked, well, if, I haven't, if they haven't started, they couldn't come. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, and two weeks ago, I mentioned something about we're all, we're all apostles, we're all sent ones. And I just want to clarify that in that, that we're sent to our, our husbands, our families, our children, our neighbors. We're not, I'm not sending you all out as a capital A apostle in the five-fold ministry, okay? I don't, I just wanted to be sure that was clarified and you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> but it's just like with the next gen too. 
you know, next generation, the, the wonderful kids that we have, the ministry that Liz has been doing with the kids, and Betty got us started early on in the early days, and um, we, you know, we're called, I may not be called a children's ministry, I wouldn't say that that's my gift and call, but we're called, we're sent ones to help take care of the little ones, aren't we? Yeah. Um, does, has anybody worked down in Next Gen? Anybody in here? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Liz, you've been in there once or twice. Yeah, Denny and I do it once a quarter. We don't have kids down there. It doesn't matter if you have kids down there or not. We're called to take care of the little ones. And that's part of all of us to do that. And it's such a beautiful investment. And uh, Denny was saying when all the kids were in there, it's like it had been several weeks since we'd been down to Next Gen Junior. And he said it was so neat to see the kids out here with their families. And so it's, and then they know you, and it, it, helps, it helps the world to be a little safer place for the kids. Um, next week, just want to give you a heads up, we're going to be covering Titus 2, 1 to 5. Those are some of my most favorite verses in the Bible. And we're going to be talking about the beauty of the connection of the generations. And there's going to be some neat things going on. Some of the gals from, um, from the youth group will be up here with us. And, um, and Anna will have a special thing for us uh, with the generations. Um, also, uh, our own pastor's wife, our youth pastor's wife, um, Chandler Holt, will be sharing just a little bit of her heart about the generational connection and, and what that is. So anyhow, I think it'll be a really special time. Um, and then also the messages, I just want to let you know the message, they're going to be uploading the messages from these. Some people have been asking that haven't been able to be here or whatever. They'll be uploading those and at some point here before too long they will be available on the Shine website. So anyhow, um, let's just take a minute to pray. Lord, thank you for the word. Thank you for Betty's nugget of praise of what you've done in her life that I think everyone in here can relate to. Um, thank you that you're with us, that you've walked through the pain of our past and that you're with us now and that you walk through the future, that we don't have to be depressed about the past or anxious about the future. You hold it all. You're the great I am. You were there. You are here. You will be there. And we can rest in that. And so, Holy Spirit, we do invite you here. And we ask that you would walk amongst our hearts, that you would convict us of our sin that you would set us free as we cry out to you, that your word would come alive to us tonight, Lord. And as we go through your, unpack this Titus 1, 10 to 16, Lord, would you just lead in our hearts? Would you speak to each one here what they need to hear, Father? And then when it's time for the discussion groups, Lord, I pray that you would just stir their hearts to be able to connect with you and to be able to connect with one another. And so we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wasn't last week really good? I heard quite a few people really got a lot out of that. I got a lot out. I had quite a few notes. Thank you, Liz, for sharing. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was truth shared in love. You know, we can have truth, and we can actually beat each other up with truth. <laughs> I've done it. I've had it done to me. <laughs> but when we share it in love, it's, it takes on a whole different dynamic. Um, 
I loved how you shared about testament means agreement. And are we in agreement with God's word? That's why we're here. We want our lives. It's not just to learn the word because we can all know the word. I've known people that can quote me a whole book of the Bible. Not just a chapter, but a book. But somehow or another, it wasn't correlated in their life. So which really speaks louder? Our lives really do. Um, going along with what Liz talked about last week, uh, Ezekiel 11, it's, um, it's not a pretty portion of Scripture. It's part of the PB&J. I don't know. Did anybody read Ezekiel 11 today? Yeah. Well... I wrestled with whether to read it or not, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to read it. It says, Then the Spirit, just uh, the first, uh, I think, 13 verses, Then the Spirit lifted me and brought me to the east gateway of the Lord's temple, where I saw 25 prominent men of the city. Among them were, son of Azur, and Pilates, there it is, right in the Bible, son of Benaniah, who were leaders among the people. The Spirit said to me, Son of man, these are the men who are planning evil and giving wicked counsel in this city. They say to the people, Is it not a good time to build houses? This city is like an iron pot. We are safe inside inside it like, a, like meat in a pot. Therefore, Son of man, prophesy against them loudly and clearly. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he told me to say, this is what the Lord says to the people of Israel. I know what you are saying, for I know every thought that comes into your minds. You have murdered many in this city and filled its streets with the dead. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This city is an iron pot, all right, but the pieces of meat are the victims of your injustice. As for you, I will, I will soon drag you from this pot. I will bring you on the... I will, Bring on you the sword of war and so greatly fear, says the sovereign Lord. You so greatly fear. I will drive you out of Jerusalem and hand you over to foreigners who will carry out my judgment against you. You will be slaughtered all the way to the borders of Israel. I will execute judgment on you and you will know that I am the Lord. No, this city will not be an iron pot for you and you will not be like meat safe inside it. I will judge you and even to the borders of Israel and you will know that I am the Lord for you have refused to obey my decrees and regulations. Instead, you have copied the standards of the nations around you. While I was still prophesying, Pelatiah, son of Benaniah, suddenly died. Then I fell face down on the ground and cried out, O sovereign Lord, are you going to kill everyone in Israel? That's a strong word. But this is what happens when we have leaders in our communities who do not hold up the word of God as the standard. And they, say, they think we're safe out of our own strength. And so I really appreciate the word you brought last week, Liz. And I think we need to be sober-minded in these times and really delve into the word, ladies, so that we can walk free. And that's what we'll be talking about here in... Um, in Titus. Titus 1, 10 to 16. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless, meaningless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation, 
They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth of their, with their, by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Do you see the correlation between what we read in Ezekiel and what Liz talked about last week and what God is saying here in His Word? Do you want to be free? Does anybody here want to be free? We want to be free. Do we want our marriages to be free? Are our marriages to be free? Those who aren't married, to be married. Do you want them to be free? It's an investment into God's word. Do you want your children free? We do, don't we? In order for that, we have to turn to the truth. Freedom does not come free. Jesus died for you and me, for our freedom. What are we going to do with that sacrifice? Have you ever thought about that? He sacrificed. He died to set us free. What are we going to do with that sacrifice? If I had a check up here for $1,000, I don't. But if I did, would anybody want it? Could anybody use an extra $1,000? Yeah, yeah. So Sally, if you came up and got this $1,000, this check... Do you have $1,000 in your hand? Yeah, you have the promise of $1,000, but you don't actually have $1,000. God has given us a promise, ladies, and that's what this word is. And we have to cash it in. We have to take it to the Lord and access the power of the cross or else all we have is a promise. And that's not going to buy you a cheeseburger it's not going to really help you in life. We have to cash it in. We have to take it to the cross. We have to humble ourselves and say, I don't really have that $1,000. I don't really have, but Jesus, you have all I need to cash that in with the Lord. Um, just like God calls us to cash in on the promise of God in Jesus Christ, the true riches he gives us, when we do that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the true riches of the kingdom. It's not seeking after the things of this world. Those, are, those will come. The Lord will provide that. But what are we seeking after? What riches are we truly seeking after, ladies? It's something to ask ourselves. We are redeemed. We're redeemed from the mindsets of this culture as we renew our minds. Um, you know, as we turn to the truth of God's word and his promises for you, they're for now. They're not for somewhere down the road or once we get to heaven, but they're for now. Matthew 6, 
13 or 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So in earth, we're earthen vessels as it is in heaven. This is something we can have right now. Yeah. Titus um, verse 10, 110 says, for there are many rebellious people who engage in useless, meaningless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. It's a mindset of legalism. Those of the circumcision set. (laughs) Say that ten times real fast. (laughs) It really is. It's out of works. And it's not out of love. It sees the works before it sees the person. And that's something God's convicted my heart of. Do I see the person or do I see their works? Do we base relationships on what somebody can do for us? Do we base our relationships on people for what we can do together, for who they are, to see their heart and to see who they really are? Rebellious, defying from the dictionary.com, it says defying or resisting some established authority, government or tradition, insubordinate, inclined to rebel. Has anybody here ever dealt with rebellion? I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) Yeah. The Cambridge Dictionary Online says, if a group of people are rebellious, they oppose the ideas of the people in authority and plan to change the system, often using force. Rebellion. Yeah. If someone is rebellious, they are difficult to control and do not behave in the way that is expected. That was me in my teenage years. Ezekiel 12.2 says, Son of man, you live among rebels who have eyes that refuse to see. They have ears but refuse to hear. For they are a rebellious people. When we get caught up in rebellion, though we see, we don't see. And though we hear, we don't hear. And it, um, it, causes, it causes us to trip up in life. You know, there's things that are just under the surface that cause us to trip. You know, we've talked about mindsets and how important our mindsets are, right? Like Betty, the thoughts that she had. I, as a kid, had mindsets that I didn't measure up. I have six, four older brothers and an older sister. They're amazing. They're gifted. They're talented. They're beautiful people. They're accomplished people. My sister was Miss Who's Who. She was the head cheerleader. She dated the quarterback. She was, I mean, she was amazing. She even went on to be the first runner-up to Miss America, you know. And so, I mean, she was. She was beautiful. She was wonderful an amazing gal to come up after and I was always comparing myself to her until God got a hold of my heart and I humbled myself and then I became the Christine Robin that he created me to be not comparing myself with my sister what does the Bible tell us those who compare themselves with themselves are unwise because you either measure they're better and you're worse, or you're better, and they're worse. It's a comparison game. 
and would always lose one way or the other. So our identity is in Christ. I loved what you had to say about that. Um, the mindsets, they're against God's design and sometimes against God himself. Also known as mental strongholds. So rebellion often starts with undealt with wounds from childhood. Just like Betty was talking about, that turns into anger. That happened to me. I had an anger issue that was always, that was always lying just below the surface. And if the arrow got wiggled, out it would come. It was just below the surface. Just like, just like this lump here in the, in the carpet. You, I would trip over it. You don't see it. Who has noticed the lump under the carpet here? You did. Allie did. Anna did. Oh, more people saw it than when I realized. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is with our sin? <laughs> it's, it's hidden. We think it's hidden. But it's causing us to trip into sin all the time. Others see it. It's obvious. Others want to fix it. Several people wanted to fix my sin under the carpet here. No, no, don't touch my sin. <laughs> you leave it right there. But it's there. It's for it, and everybody sees it. We set up beliefs and patterns to self-protect, don't we? If you have a sore toe, you don't want anybody stepping on your sore toe. So everybody that comes close, it's like this. And when we have these wounds from childhood, it's like arrows to the chest. And if somebody wiggles them, they might get not a very nice response back because we self-protect. That's just what we do. We set up beliefs and patterns to protect ourselves. And in the process, we, many unbeneficial things happen in our lives, one of which is rebellion. And that's what this verse is talking about here. My daughter-in-law, Morgan, she shared a quote with me day before yesterday. And I thought it really, it's by um, Leo Two. If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you're anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. And I added, the present is a gift. If we will just live in the present with the Lord. Let our, and then Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow we're worried about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We don't need to go there. We don't need to be overly concerned. Do we need to plan? Yes. Make your plans and leave the outcome up to. That's right. Yeah. Did you know that useless talk starts as useless thought? Useless talk starts as useless thought. What does it mean to think out loud? You're saying your thoughts. Exactly. If we are having useless and meaningless conversations, this is talking about here in verse 10, what is our thought life? Just something to think about. <laughs> useless, not fulfilling the intended purpose or desired outcome. Some of the synonyms for useless, futile, to no avail, vain, pointless, to no purpose, hopeless, ineffective, fruitless. Well, there may be fruit, but it's not the fruit that we're wanting to eat. 
Has anybody ever picked a peach before it's ripe? It's hard and green and sour. Or rotten fruit? A meaningless, and meaningless means have no purpose or reason. Some translations say meaningless, some say um, useless. Have no purpose or reason. Futile, pointless, aimless, empty, hollow, vain. Have you ever been in, in conversations and you walk away and you just feel like you have to regroup? You need to pray and wash your mind or pull the arrows out? Sometimes walking away from conversations like that, it's, it's not edifying. May our conversations edify others. May they be edifying. Even our enemies are created in God's image. We can find something good. One older man years ago, he was a minister, and he says, you know, even you can even find something good about the harshest of people, even if it's their smile, even if they have straight teeth. You know, or you, we can always find something good. What are we looking for? Our words bring life or death, don't they? They bring life or death. In Proverbs 18, 20 to 22, it says, A man's stomach will be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. He will be satisfied with the consequences of his words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge in it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. And I love verse 22 that follows this. He who finds a true and faithful wife finds a good thing and obtains favor and approval from the Lord. I don't think it's an accident that that verse follows this about words. Have you ever correlated useless talk with rebellion? What if our words are useless and meaningless, deceiving and defrauding others? Have you ever thought that useless and meaningful, it doesn't mean that you can't be jovial and joke around some, but there's meaningless talk that brings, that defames others, that brings others down. Useless, meaningless talk. And then have you ever considered your conversations as prayers? What is praying? It's a conversation with God. It's talking to God. Yeah, our conversations are not just between you and me. Our conversations are between God and me and you. May our conversations be a prayer that are edifying. And if we'd include God in our thought life, our thoughts would be different, wouldn't they? Taking every thought captive. Yeah. You know, I thought, ouch, that's really convicting. <laughs> if my inner thoughts, my inner conversation included God, would, it, would my thoughts be different? And would that affect my conversation? Yeah. With our words, are we building up and using the Lord to help others or are we tearing down and being used by Satan? to hurt and wound others and stray from the truth. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here in Titus, that how our empty conversations can lead others astray. 
How many times in the pulpit have they been empty conversations that really don't edify the congregation? Two and a half years ago, Denny and I went to a marriage counselor who used listening prayer or the theophostics that some of you are familiar with to open the door for the healing power of Jesus in our, in our marriage. And I'll talk more about that next semester. But it, it was very helpful to open our hearts for Jesus to come in and do a deeper work. Um, I realized how I had been wounded, especially in childhood, and how I was wounding others. I'm walking through a process right now with um, some of our adult children, especially one of them. Some of the things, some of the anger, I realized the, the things that happened in my childhood with my dad. He had anger issues, and he disciplined me in anger. And as a kid, you just kind of roll that off and you keep going. You know, you break the arrow off, but the wound is there. And unless it's dealt with, we tend to duplicate the same thing that's done to us. We see it. That's part of the generational curses. But when we bring Jesus into that wound, when we bring Jesus in, we get set free. Um... You know, just in the last couple of weeks, some things have really come up. In the last, the last several days, the Lord's really been convicting my heart about some things in my life that I need to face. That I'm, it grieves my heart when I see it. When we humble ourselves and we see what we've done to hurt another, instead of just covering it up. And um, I've asked the Lord to forgive me and I know he forgives me. And just because my father disciplined me in anger doesn't make it okay for me that I discipline my children in anger at times, especially those who are very strong-willed. <laughs> Does it, it doesn't justify it. I still need to face it, and I still need to repent to that child. I would appreciate your prayers in that. Um, so... If we forgive and repent, we close the door, ladies. We close the door of the sin cycle that's been working in our families or working in our life and that lives just under the surface. You know, it's like this. It's just under the surface. It's not that obvious, but it's obvious. It's not right. It's not supposed to be there. Then we will not keep repeating the sins done to us. We don't keep passing them on. It breaks the cycle. There's things from my childhood and my family, there's been a lot of the cycles that have been broken by the power of the cross and the work of Jesus in my life and in Denny's life. But you know, it's a process. It's an ongoing process. As long as we're on this earth, God is going to be working in us. And I encourage you to embrace that process. The Lord's having a process in your life. Open your heart and allow him to work in your process. Rebellion gets a hold in our lives. It's a grip that brings bondage and leaves us stuck in our sin. That's why God, God wants to deal with our sin. Why? Why does God want to deal with our sin? Does he want to embarrass us? He wants us to be free, doesn't he? He wants us free. And we want that freedom. Are we willing to humble ourselves? When I was a sophomore in high school, um, 
I dated this young man named Don who worked for my dad. And it was cold. I think it was in January. It was a cold, wintry day. It had been in a really wet season. And um, we went horseback riding. And we were going, we were having a great time. We went through this area where they had just put up, you know, the really big power, um, uh, for the power lines, the big power towers, I guess they are with the power lines that go across. Well, they just put in some new ones out in the middle of nowhere. And we were riding along and I encouraged my horse Dinah to go through this, what I thought was just a, a mud puddle. And it was a sinkhole. And we, she, she hesitated and I encouraged her to, to go on in. And down she went, her legs up to her belly, up, my legs were up to here. I finally dismounted because I was trying to encourage her to get out. And she was trying, but she couldn't. She was stuck. And so I dismounted, and I was trying to encourage her. Down in the mud, I could feel rocks and wire, and I was concerned about her getting her legs wound up in the wire. And I, so I finally got out of the mud hole, and I was trying to pull and encourage her to come out. She couldn't. We heard a tractor in the distance. It was a Sunday afternoon out in the boonies and there was a man working with a tractor he had had a backhoe on it and he just happened to have a rope on his tractor (sighs) cowboy on a tractor (laughs) and so don went over and got him and brought him back over he drove his tractor over somehow another i got the rope underneath her and around her behind her legs and hooked it to the tractor and gently pulled her out as she was struggling. She got out and she was just, she was so exhausted and so cold. She was shivering and shaking all over. I, that, was, that was sobering for me. I encouraged her to go through there. She wanted to go around it, but I encouraged her to go through it because I didn't know. I didn't know what was there. I didn't know the sinkhole that was there. And that's what rebellion is. We step into it thinking it's going to be okay, it's no big deal, that it's just a mud puddle. And before we know it, we're sunk up to our necks and we can't get out. Rebellion gets a hold on us. It gets a hold on our heart. And we're bondage to it before we know it. Um, If somebody would have told me there's a sinkhole under the power lines, don't go that way, I would have gone a different way or I would have been very careful. It's important to have people that can tell us some of the the landscape ahead of us. And then are we talking to our young people about the muddy pits of lies? Are we talking to our young people about them? You know, we talk to our young ladies about being pure, but are we talking to them about why they're to be pure? Are we giving them wisdom and insight of how to discern what it is to, how to discern? Because the Bible tells us we're to be, what is it, we're to be pure as doves, innocent as doves, and wise as serpents. That seems like it's an oxymoron, doesn't it? But how can we be in relationship with our young people, with our girls, and let them know what it is, the beauty of purity. 
but to be wise with that and how to discern some of the young men that have these ideas of what they're needing. We need mentors. I needed mentors. We, where are the mentors? I think we need to really examine our hearts, ladies, because we live in a day and a time where so many women, they raise their children, they go to work. But what does the Bible say? And we'll get into that more next week in Titus 2. Where are the mentors? Um, In our youth, many of us heard the importance of knowing God and not sinning. But were we taught why? Was it just something that we were taught to do? Um, Did you, have you ever thought about the lack of knowledge and rebellion are kind of similar? We fall in the pit either way. That is what lack of knowledge, lack of knowing God and his ways and rebellion toward God is like. We may think we are stepping into a little bit of mud, but little do we know how it can engulf us with bondage. Um, But then there's God. God in his grace and mercy is far greater, like the man with the tractor and rope. When we repent... When we humble ourselves and we cry out to him, he will, great, he will gently pull us out of that sinkhole of rebellion. He'll pull us out. He'll cleanse us with the blood of Jesus and set us free to walk as redeemed daughters of the king. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we want for our daughters? It really is. And like the tractor had power over the pit, Jesus has power over all of our sin. There is nothing that you or I can do that the power of the cross cannot redeem us from. Okay? Don't ever think that you've gone too far, you've done too much, or you're too dirty. That's a lie of the enemy. You don't measure up. The power of the cross is like the man on the tractor, but far greater can pull us out of that pit, that bondage. Um, you know, this that, that I've been tripping over. This is kind of like our sin. We sweep it under the carpet. We trip over it. And people trip over it. And what Jesus does with this is he takes it when we yield it and we, we're willing to identify and say, Jesus, this is a sin in my life. I'm willing to bring it out in the open. I'm going to humble myself because it's pride that says, I, I don't need to repent. God bless you. I don't need, nobody else sees my sin. It's fine right there. It's okay if I trip over it. It's okay if somebody else trips over it. But it takes us into the pit. And when we're willing to pull it out and to look at what our sin is and take it to the cross, Jesus takes our sin and our shame and he makes us righteous he makes beauty out of ashes he cleanses us and then he throws it it departs it's no more we may remember it but the grasp it has on us is gone 
Some of my sins from the past, they had a hold on me until I humbled myself and repented of them. And the Lord's brought another one up, this thing of anger. And I believe we should discipline our children. But we shouldn't discipline them in anger. And I need to humble myself and repent of that. Will that be easy? No. But it will be beneficial and profitable? I pray so. I pray so. In 1997, I was rebelling against God's way in marriage because I didn't know what he was, I didn't know what, what his ways were. So I had so many, like what it talked about in Ezekiel 11, I had so many cultural thoughts and mindsets and mental strongholds. Then he's a good man. But I had, I had mental strongholds that were setting myself up against God. And it wasn't until the, the word of God, the truth of the word, Isaiah says, um, this thing about rebellion, we can walk in it consciously or unconsciously. I thought I was being a godly wife, but I wasn't aligning myself with God's truth and his ways. So it doesn't matter if you think you're a godly wife, if you're not in obedience to God's word, right? Hosea 4, 6a says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I'm still trying to walk around this area, but I can walk on it now and <laughs> not trip and fall. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge of my law where I reveal my will. It says in the Amplified, I love that. His law is where he reveals his will. Are you wanting to know God's will? You'll find it in his word. That's where we find his will. That's where we find his ways is in his word. That's why we're here studying Titus. We want to know his will. We want to know his ways. I'd grown up in a church all of my life. Yet, Hosea 4, 6a. 4, Verse 6a. Um, you know, it's like gravity, whether we're conscious or unconscious. It still works for our good or our ill, right? Whether you realize the laws of gravity and you step off an eight-story building, doesn't matter if you know the laws or not, it's still going to affect you. Obedience and disobedience, rebellion is the same way. I was, um, I didn't understand the designs of manhood and womanhood and marriage. I was angry deep down at myself, at Denny. I thought men just didn't get it. They were a bunch of buffaloes that were thick-headed. They didn't get it, you know. And yet I didn't care to really get together with women. I would avoid women's gatherings. I had some close friends, but I did not. They, they, were, they were trite. They were, I just didn't care to be involved with the women's gatherings either. I won't say any more. <laughs> After studying God's design of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, though, it changed my, how I saw myself. It changed how I saw my husband. It changed how I saw God. And I love women. I love how God has made them in their feminine design. I so deeply respect how God has created men. I enjoy the design that God has for masculinity. It's something to be honored and respected. 
Um, but I had to pull down the mental strongholds, the lies I had believed for years and replace them with God's truth. We have to replace the lies with truth. Just like what Betty was saying. The lies, ladies, we need to be asking the Lord, am I believing lies? It's not always easy to face them. But that's the only way we get free is if we ask the Lord and he identifies what they are. Um, it was a process, to say the least, in what God did in my life and our marriage. The inside scoop is in January, we're going to be talking about made to shine. How God has made women. What is biblical womanhood? We live in a very gender-confused world today. And I think some of it is because we're not talking about what God's design is. It's not politically correct. But we need it. It's the core of who we are. I mean, what's the first thing you want to know when you hear somebody's had a baby? Then you know how to go shopping, right? I mean, it's green or yellow otherwise, you know. <laughs> you know, how it, that's so core to our identity, ladies. And God has a lot to say about the design. He created men and women. Recently, a young lady and I were talking about the antique shows that uh, you go to and how they, um, you know, inevitably there's this one thing of value that somebody didn't know that it was worth so much. And uh, I remember seeing one time this vase that was used as a doorstop. Literally, it was used as a doorstop. And it was worth like, I don't know, it was an enormous amount, 30000 or something like that. And they were like, I had no idea, you know. Why? Why were they using it as a doorstop? They didn't know the value of it. This is our sexuality. Masculinity and femininity has been used as a doorstop in our culture and God wants us to understand the value and the beauty of it. And if we don't know the value and the beauty of it for our lives, how can we pass that on to our children? Obviously we can't. We pass on confusion. And without purpose, understanding the purpose of something, it gets misused. Another young lady who's a teacher, she was saying that one of her students identified themselves as pansexual. Pansexual. There's no limit. It's anything. Pansexual, anything. Yeah. Male, female, and where does that lead to? You know, we're in a society, we're in a time where our culture, we need to hear it in the church so that we can shine the light of God's truth. Then God said something to me that puzzled me. Yes, you were asked because I'd asked him, am I re where am I rebellious? And, um, and he said, in a good way. And I said, what? How can rebellious be in a good way? You know? Um, it's not toward, he said, not, it's not towards God. It's not towards me. But to the conformity of this age. Do you see it can be turned? We all kind of have that rebellious nature in us. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to rebel against God with it and his authority? Are we going to rebel against this cultural age and the systems that are set up? We will rebel against God or Satan. 
Not to decide is to decide, isn't it? There is no such thing as being static. Something's happening. If you think you're not going to make a choice, if the church thinks they're not going to talk about sexuality and it's going to be okay, it's not okay. If parents think they're not going to talk about sexuality with their kids and teach them God's design and think it's going to be okay, they're going to learn about it at school. Um, So, as we quoted from the Cambridge Dictionary Bible, if a group of people are rebellious, they oppose the ideas of the people in authority and plan to change the system often using force. And I thought, wow, that's really good. If you think about it, if you turn it around and what we're using it for, what force do we use as Christians? Where do we war? In prayer. That's right. We pray. That's why it's so important that we war in prayer, not with people. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this age, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realm. How do we war? We war with obeying God. We war with love. We war with forgiveness. We war with encouragement. Encourage. We put encouragement in. These plunder the kingdom of darkness, ladies. This is how we plunder the kingdom of darkness, is with prayer and with love and with kindness and people's heart. This is when we really shine, is when we're walking. It's not just quoting scripture, but it's in our lives and how we we live it out in our lives. Think about what you're thinking about. Okay? Let's say that. I'm going to think about, let's say it together, I'm going to think about what I think about. Okay? And let's include the Lord. Let's include God in there with what we're thinking about. Because um, it will make for useless talk that deceives others or conversations that edify. Verse 11. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by false teaching. And they do it only for money. I was turning my family away by my actions, by my anger, by my perfectionism. I was turning them away from the Lord. Um, It's not just people out there that are turning our kids away. What are we doing in our own homes that are turning our children away from the Lord? Um, You know the saying that actions speak louder than our actions really do speak louder than our words. I rebel against the world's culture that says we have to be politically correct. You have to achieve. What does God say we're to be? We're created in His image. You know, we need to go back to the Word. To be a person of value in others' eyes. Ladies, our value comes from God himself. That's our identity. I love what Betty had to say in her testimony. Our identity. If we don't have our identity in Christ, then where do we have it? In a million different places. 
Um, in Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a human master. What happens if we don't work as unto the Lord? Whoever we work for, if we work for anyone else other than the Lord, we become a victim. It's a victim mentality that we take on. So if we're, if we're being a godly woman because I'm trying to measure up to somebody else's standard, I become a victim to what they think. If I try to be a godly wife based on what my husband says or thinks, then I become a victim to him. But if I want to be a godly woman and a godly wife and a godly mother based on what God says and as unto the Lord, then I'm a victim to nobody. I'm, I'm his servant. So this is so important to have that, that we work. What we do, we do is under the Lord. Um, verse 12 and 13, even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. People who are liars, cruel, lazy gluttons, and to be reprimanded sternly to make them strong in the faith, not to criticize them, but to help them. Why? Why do, you, why do you discipline your children? To hurt them or help them? Why does God discipline us? Yeah. That's the heart of the Lord. Hebrews twelve six says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises everyone he accepts as his son. The message has a beautiful, if you can read it another time, in the message, um, chapter 6, 4 through 11, I mean, chapter Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. It's just beautiful the way it puts it about God's heart towards us. And then verse 14 says, they must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Remember in that Ezekiel passage, 11, that it talked about how they were conforming to the cultures around them it's what it's affirming here that's what I was that was what was going on with me in my marriage that was one of the reasons I was having so many challenges is being a godly wife and a godly mother was because I had mental strongholds that had set themselves up against God I was conforming to the world we have to stop listening to people who are legalistic Speaking out of cultural myths, lies, and those that speak out of a heart that is turned away from the truth. If, if you're talking to somebody and you, you sense that the word is not the absolute word of God, that, they have, that they're angry towards God, I would highly encourage you not to take counsel from them. It will lead you astray. How do we know how, who to listen to? There's a lot of voices out here. We have parents, we have teachers, we have pastors, we have family members, we have friends, we have pastors, we, I mean, we have videos and blogs. There's so many avenues of information anymore. How do we know who to listen to? We have to turn to the truth, don't we? Or else we'll be deceived. We must have a foundation or somewhere listening to that they, they have a foundation, that their plumb line is in the Word of God. That that foundation must be in Jesus Christ. Not just 
just that they know the word, but is, do they have a viable relationship with Jesus Christ? There must be the word of God. It must be based on the word of God. We need to know the word, be in it. I thought, re- Roland, I thought of, of Wilbur the pig. You know, I thought, or, you know, I, I thought just roll in it. Just roll in the truth. Let it cover us. Let it be all around us. Let's dream in it. Let's think in it. Let's process in and through it. We need to be critical thinkers. Not critical people, but critical thinkers. Thinking outside of the box. Not just what's come. Not just what people are saying. But how does it line with the word? Always comparing with the word. How does it line up with the word? And then discern the foundation of the person or information you are questioning to see if it aligns with the truth and design of God's word. That's first and foremost. And if you're not sure, ask the Lord to show you and confirm it in his word. And, and ask a mentor. Ask somebody older, wiser in your life. And take it to prayer. Verse 15 says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciousness are corrupted. It's kind of like our computers, lady. Once our computers, once the hard drive gets corrupted, it's done. The information, it doesn't work well for its master, and neither do we. And any computer it networks with, what happens? It corrupts them. We need to be careful that we are not allowing our hard drive, our heart, to be corrupted so that we're not corrupting others. God sees that very seriously. Verse 16, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. I did it. I pray I don't do it anymore. It's not my heart. I know we don't mean to do that. But we need to be comparing our lives with the word. We need to be humbling ourselves so that we're not leading people astray, leading our own families astray, our own children and grandchildren astray, our friends astray. It's easy to point out there to who's doing it. But I really think we need to look in here and take our sin to the Lord, our rebellion to the Lord, and allow him to deal with us then we can give hope to others. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing any good thing. Let's turn that verse around. What is, what is the antithesis of verse 16 saying? People who claim to know God accept him, and it is evident by the way they live. They are a blessing to others, obedient to the Lord. They are They are valued citizens doing many good things. May that be our lives, ladies. May we be the antithesis of verse 16. May our lives speak of God's love, correction, forgiveness, and grace as we turn to his truth. Um, Matthew 6, 9 to 13 is the Lord's Prayer. And I think that's very, very applicable. So, um, I just want to pray before we go into D groups here. Lord, would you please help us to look to you and not our sins or those who have sinned against us. Deliver us from our rebellion. 
Would you help us receive our identity in you, Lord? Help. We need your help. For the way we think, for our thoughts with you, our conversations, be with you first. And we pray that that brings life. Help us to be your people who know and accept you. And it's evident by the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, there's questions on the table. And um, you ladies enjoy your time together.